0: One year ago, we explored the period in Superman history from 1986 to 1993 in our series Crisis Till Death. Now, the podcast returns to the Triangle Era as we survey the post-death and rain landscape in comics, toys, video games, and television. This is Death Till Wedding, a new seven-part epic covering 1993 through 1996. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This is Death Till Wedding, Part 2, and joining me to discuss the Triangle Era, immediately following Reign of the Superman, is one of the hosts of the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast and a first-time guest on this show, Joe Marcello. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. You and I know each other from our old comic shop, the late, great alternate realities in Scarsdale, New York.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I still remember the the first day I met you because I pulled up to the, the shop and I saw someone outside who had a Superman vanity plate on their car. And as a Superman fan, I'm like, what the hell is this? Who's this guy? And then I come to find it was you. And I'm like, oh, well, that's obviously okay. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was cool. And then uh, I guess, you know, it's such a small world. You know, you come to find that we all know – the same people in different circles and you know here we are
0: yeah you know it's so funny this must have come up at some point on the podcast but i can't remember maybe in our in our origins episode at the very beginning but yeah audience i used to have vanity plates that said last son Mm -hmm. of course in reference to last son of krypton although i would constantly get questions about whether i was the youngest son in the family i was like (laughs) no no i'm the only son i'm the only child but yeah, I used to have those, and I don't have them anymore. Uh, when I when I ultimately parted with the the leased car, because we had leased cars for a while, and each time, you know, yeah. I, you know, kept that going. And then uh, I, I said goodbye to those plates, and I do still miss them sometimes. And sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I should see if I if I can get it again. Maybe at some point I will. It was fun. I had I had fun having those.
1: I w- I have those internal battles um, with myself. I'm like, should I get vanity plates? you know, should I do it? Should I bite the bullet? And I'm like, you know what? I've had the same plate for so long. It took me that long to memorize it. Like uh, I'm with it. So.
0: Yeah. Well, it was yeah. fun while it lasted. And I'm glad that, you know, it, it was something that we could bond over. I definitely remember you being in the store. I, I don't know that. I can't remember us having very long involved conversations. I, I feel like they were usually quicker exchanges yeah, up at the register. Yeah. passing,
1: you know, like, hey, you know, you know, this was issue, whatever is cool. You know, and it was just really light and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I didn't want to be that guy and be like, so what, what what's up? You know, <laughs> he's some creep weirdo in, in, in the shop. But, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, that was, was cool, man. I remember, I miss those days. <laughs>
0: I'll be yeah, honest with you. It was, well, look, I have a whole other podcast if people want to explore uh, that. It's called My Comic Shop History. But yeah, it yeah. was, it was a, you know, a, a very formative experience for so many of us. And yeah, I'm glad that we could meet through there. I'm glad yeah. we could have you on here. Like I said, you're one of the hosts of the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast, available on all major podcast platforms and in video form on YouTube as well. Uh, you guys not too long ago celebrated 100 episodes, so congrats on that. Thank you. And for anyone who hasn't checked it out, I mean, you guys interview true legends and, and veterans in the comic book industry, uh, and, and it's fascinating. And it's especially relevant here because you've had on your show a number of the Superman creators whose work we're going to be talking about, including Dan Jurgens and Carl Kiesel, yeah. John Bogdanov. I mean, it's it's amazing.
1: It was when you know we started this journey. It was really it was Oren and I, uh, and you know, obviously, eventually Mike. But it was, you know, in the middle of a pandemic and the two of us were just itching to do something to stay creative because, you know, like most of us, we were just in a funk. And he's like, hey, because we had discussed wanting to do a podcast in the, in the past about kind of anything that came to mind, you know, horror movies, wrestling uh, and comics came up. So he just approached me. He's like, hey, want to start a podcast? We can do it. I'm like, all right. He goes, well, we can use Zoom because we we were doing those, you know, as we, you know, as they were called back in the early days of the pandemic, drunken Zooms so where we would sit and chat and drink and BS for a while. So we started to use Zoom for a, a good purpose. And it kind of took off from there. And, you know, it was really Orin's brainchild. He wanted to, you know, just create something out of a passion of ours. And, um, you know, early on, we we're like, all right, well, you know, I figured we'll get a couple of people here and there and we would kind of make up the rest as we go, but then it turned into you know, we were text people, you know, each other, "Hey, how about this person? How about that person?" And you know, it was it literally came about out of Oren and eventually Mike just reaching out to people and asking them very nicely, "Hey, we have this podcast. Do you want to be on it?" And, you know, little did we know that most of these creators um, are very willing to do so. to talk about their careers and uh, the comic book industry and, you know, where things are and where they've gone. So um, it's been a great experience.
0: Awesome. Well, I, I love what you guys do. I hope people will check out the show, uh, you know, generally, and especially with respect to episodes featuring these these legendary Superman creators. And yeah. I, I can, you know, that's the thing. I, I can understand why they would welcome the opportunity. Because I think, unfortunately... You know, especially when you're talking about these these veteran creators who you know have been around for a long time, you know a lot of times the focus is on the you know the the new hot up-and-coming writers, right and those who've yeah. been around for a while maybe they might not get the spotlight. So to have an opportunity to do something like this, I think people are always you know flattered and interested right when there's an, you know an interest in uh, showcasing them and their work. and and so the fact that you guys create this forum for their for them to recount their histories and shed some light on stories that they've that they've worked on. I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it, I mean, for me, it was great being a, you know, a huge Superman fan. And, you know, for anyone who hasn't heard it at this point, ad nauseum, but, you know, the thing that got me into Superman was the death of Superman storyline. And I just fell in love with, you know, Dan Jurgens and the artwork and the writing. Um, and for me, you know, to actually speak to him and pick his brain about, Death of Superman, which, you know, let's be honest, at this point, anyone who's into comics and who's kind of in the know of that world, they know what everything that's led up to it, what created it. Um, You know, we didn't we weren't breaking new ground necessarily, uh, but to hear it from the from, you know, the mouths of the people that were instrumental in creating it was it was a whole different experience.
0: That's really cool. It's it's funny cuz I as the audience knows, I mean I I typically don't do creator interviews on the show with the exception of having Mark Wade on to talk about yeah, Birthright which yes. was so which was so fun. But yes, of course the thought has crossed my mind, especially as someone like yourself who got into comics and Superman with the death of Superman. To interview Dan Jurgens or or some of these other folks if if they would be willing to come on. So it's definitely crossed my mind. You know, we'll see. I think I think exactly what you spoke to is is somewhat of my reservation where I would only want to do it if I felt like I had something new to, to ask or to bring up. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's been covered well by, by folks like yourself and and other, and other interviewers. So I, so we'll see, but that's definitely something for anyone who's like, Hey, what have you thought about it? Yeah, of course I've thought about it. We'll see. Maybe at some point we'll, we'll get there. But in the meantime, this is part two of death to a wedding. Now, last time we talked about Superman, doomsday hunter prey, as well as, uh, the Doomsday Wars. So we looked at a pair of those of those Dan Jurgens miniseries that dealt with the the return of Doomsday, and we had a great time talking about it. But now we are firmly back in the Triangle era here, and this is an interesting spot for me because when we did our our crisis till death event last year most of what i was reading was was new to me that was one of the largest gaps in my fandom i started with mm-hmm. the death but all the years leading up to it i had not read before so when we did that last year like that was a huge gap that i was closing but it was all new to me now <laughs> we're in that stretch where i remember going to hero's world in the galleria mall in white plains mm-hmm. oh my goodness and of course then later uh, alternate realities and other shops in the Westchester County area. I remember getting these comics. I remember reading them. So it's a little different experience this time around. Let me give folks the a quick rundown of exactly what we read. So this was this was like a forty plus issue uh, reading assignment. So I thank you very much. Uh, you're now in the in the category of guests along with Scott Honig, who who last year when we did Crisis Till Death had <laughs> like three <laughs> three fifty issue uh, reading assignments in a row. <laughs>
1: I'm just going to hold this up and I know you can't, you know, most people won't see this. This There's a list of that someone compiled on Reddit of all the issues, the triangle issues in the period that you're that we're going to be discussing. They put them in order, you know, and it goes between Superman, Action Comics, Man of Steel, Adventures of, and they just put them in order in all the triangle numbers. And it made it so easy for me to go back and just be like, oh, yeah, da, 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 and just read through it. So I if love you it. You guys want to find it, it's out there.
0: I love it. And I thank you for, for taking on that reading assignment. I really do appreciate it. So it's we my were summer in, reading. Awesome.
1: Which I never did in school.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, this is Sorry. fun homework. So Adventures of Superman 506 through 516. So Adventures was written by Carl Kiesel and drawn by Barry Kitson. I had totally forgotten that Barry Kitson had a stint on the Superman books. So, yeah. that was it was a it was a pleasant surprise to me. It was like, oh, he, he had and he, you know, he did Tom Grummett the the issue 506. That was sort of tidying up uh, some of the reign of the Superman business. And then I guess he and Kiesel were off doing the Superboy series and Barry Kitson yeah. came on uh, for the remainder of the issues that we read for this. Uh, then we have Action Comics 693 through 703. Uh, drawn by Jackson Geis and uh, written primarily by Roger Stern until he left uh, with issue seven hundred, and then was succeeded by David Michelini. I looked up a YouTube video where he said his name because I wanted to make sure I had the pronunciation correct. So uh, it's 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 Michelini as far as I understand it.
1: Yeah, all, I, I, um. Yes. Yeah. So I. Uh. In. In line with that, uh, all these years I thought uh, it was Carl Kessel. And it wasn't until we were uh, talking to, I think it was, uh, shoot, it wasn't, it was either Dan Juergens or Tom Grummett who said it was Carl Kiesel. And we were frantically texting each other, Oren and I and Mike back, you know, kind of behind the scenes like, holy crap, it was Kiesel this whole time. So, yeah.
0: Well, I, I think I talked about this in the Wade episode, but, you know, before we started recording, I just wanted to confirm with him the pronunciation of his artist on Superman Birthright. As it turns out, it's lineal u uh, according, to, uh, <laughs> according to, uh, uh, to to Mark Way, but out of all of the different permutations of what the pronunciation would be, yeah. it wasn't that, so I'm glad I asked. Uh, so yeah, you never know. Yeah. Uh, so that's Action Comics. Man of Steel number 28 through 37 by Louis Simonson and John Bogdanov. That's another name that I, I learned how to pronounce fairly recently. Yep. <laughs> And Superman eighty four through ninety three, primarily uh, written and drawn by Dan Jergens. There are a couple of fill in uh, issues mm-hmm. along the way, but primarily Dan Jergens. So those are the issues we read. Uh, you know, as always, I like to start with the you know the, the big picture question for you is how how did you I know this was not the first time that you were reading these? I know you, you know you you read them, I guess back in the day. I don't know how often you've revisited them, but I guess I'm just curious how they held up for you and what your overall impressions of this reading project were
1: it was it was great to get back into it because it reminded me at the time how easy it was to jump on board because of the triangle numbers because you have four separate Superman titles, which, you could read each one of the titles on their own. They would fall, you know, they have their own storyline. However, if you read them, you know, with all the triangles in uh, succession, uh, you have the bigger picture or the bigger story arc that also, you know, falls in line in completion. So I found it very easy, you know, to kind of get back into this, which reminded me of, how easy it was for me to get into reading comics back in the day because of that. You know, I was, like I said, I I, I started reading Death of Superman. That's what got me into comics. But it wasn't until, it was like a couple of years after this storyline had actually happened. So I'm playing catch-up at this point. So to play catch-up and not know what happened and where to go, the triangles made it so much easier. So when they got rid of that, I was like, oh, man. You know, not that I couldn't follow what was going on at that point, but still, it was it was a feature that I think a lot of people, you know, really kind of appreciated. And once it went away, of course, a couple other titles went away too. So it really wasn't that hard to follow. But you know, I, I really it, it um, as a fan, I, I that's what I kind of it got me into it. Really hooked me.
0: Gotcha. I as far as overall impressions go, how do I put this? I wanted to like this more than, than I did. And that's not to say that, that I disliked it or, or, or anything like that. Overall, I enjoyed myself going through these issues, but I wanted to enjoy them more, more than I did. I would say that I too like the, the, the triangle number system. Mm-hmm. And ha- at the same time, there were, there were a couple of instances where I, I found that things were getting very repetitive uh, I think most notably, you know, one of the main threads in the early issues that we read is that Superman's powers are increasing. Right? He's, mm-hmm. He was restored at the end of Reign of the Superman at Engine City, and you know, he, he initially he's back at full power, but then he's finding that his his powers are, are even above where they had been before. And it's like issue after issue of an example where he punches harder than he meant to, or expends yeah. more heat vision than he meant to, and it just kind of goes on for quite a while. And I think what I was bumping up against was because I, I really had such a great experience reading the the stories that built into the the death and rain and, and the death and rain themselves. And I felt that I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm just kind of like looking back and it's like rose-colored glasses on last year's reading assignment or or what, but I feel like those earlier triangle era stories I think did a did a better job of avoiding that and also of sort of weaving together more subplots, utilizing the supporting cast. I felt like a lot of the supporting cast kind of got lost in the shuffle a bit in in the stories that we read. Not, I mean, there are exceptions, but yeah. not to the extent that we had gotten before. So I think there was a little bit more repetition in, in a couple of instances where I f- was starting to wear on me a little bit. And I didn't feel like the supporting cast was utilized via subplots to the effectiveness that they were before. And then finally, my last big picture takeaway when you when you look at the stories, the, the storylines that we that we read for this, there's the the death, I mean, this was, we'll, we'll talk about it, but gut-wrenching, the death of, of Cat Grant's son, Adam, uh, yeah. the murder at the hands of Toy Man. We have this three-part arc called Spilled Blood featuring a new racist iteration of Bloodsport, another character called Bloodthirst. We have the the battle for Metropolis and the fall of Metropolis. I mean, listen, if people, if you were offended by all of the destruction in Man of Steel, the storyline is not for you. It's destruction porn. Uh, no. <laughs> to, you know, take it to the next level. We have a two-parter with a with an alien uh, character named Massacre uh, who comes to kill Superman. All of that is to say, you know, I wasn't I wasn't offended. I wasn't sitting there. You know, it wasn't a clutching my pearls uh, situation. But I'm reading these stories and especially reading them all together. And that was actually a question from one of our patrons, uh, Brian. So shout out to Brian who asked, you know, what, how did the experience compare reading it all in one chunk versus reading it weekly? And I got to say, man, I don't know that reading it in one chunk <laughs> necessarily helped. Like I, uh, yeah. especially all those things that I just mentioned, it really created an overall vibe that it, I don't know if you just chalk it up to the nineties or what, but that was definitely, that made an impression.
1: I, I agree with you 100% on that because, you know, out of the gate when I started reading, rereading this, you know, we have the Toyman storyline. Um, and that's heavy. That's some, that's serious. And then you follow that up with, and I, I don't know if I got the order correct, it was Toyman and then um, Bloodsport. But both of them are very seriously heavy topics. And... um I I enjoyed those two uh, because they're, you know, they're kind of real. You know, you're taking a real topic and you're in, you know, you're, you know, putting it into a, you know, a a superhero story. And I think even aside from the fact that you have your main character who could fly and punch through mountains and things like that, you know, those storylines in and of themselves are very compelling. Now, you jump from that to, you know... Clones at Cadmus Project that are getting sick and dying. It's, I can certainly see, you know, where you can bump into those because you're, it, it, you know, if you're going to be charting this uh, on a chart, you know, that line's going up and down because you have some certainly high points and there are definitely some low points. And I think, as, you know, and I, you know, probably that's best consumed on a, you know, weekly or or monthly basis because to, like you said, you know, to re consume this all in, you know, a shorter amount of time, it doesn't do it justice because you, you know, you're, you, you have, you have that other storyline freshly in your mind and they're like, so I'm going from this to this really. But, and I think the same holds true for the artwork too. It's a little jarring. You know, you go from some very clean artwork of one artist to another that is a little bit rougher just because that's their style uh, some of whom I'm not a major fan of. Um, and, you know, it it doesn't do the story any justice either.
0: So I agree with all of that. And I want to say on the art front, because I know when you had uh, John Bogdanov on your show, I know you mentioned this sort of in the preamble to the interview, that, you know, historically you were not the biggest fan of his style. And I've said the same on the show. I mean, yeah. I remember as a kid, you know, as a little kid reading these, I you know, his always stood out and not necessarily in a favorable way. Now, though, I do appreciate what he was doing and how distinct mm-hmm. it was. Is it still necessarily what I think of as Superman when I close my eyes? No. But again, I can appreciate what, what he what he was doing. I will say, I, I think the, 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 the most pleasant surprise in all of this for me has been Jackson Geis, because if you had asked me a couple of years ago, like, Close your eyes and picture, you know, renditions of Superman from the Triangle era. Of course, mm-hmm. Juergens would come to mind. Of course, <laughs> Bogdana, for better or worse, Grummett, uh, who's have remained a fa- favorite of mine for forever. Yeah. And I think guys just kind of got like lost in the shuffle or didn't cement in my young mind. But now, as I'm reading these issues, I'm like, oh my god, this stuff is is gorgeous. So that's been a, a delight for me to kind of go back and and see all of that. Uh, but I agree with what you said and uh, about you know, sort of going from one one story to the next here and how sometimes it is a little bit jarring. And I think that the Toyman uh, issues in particular, because, uh, you know, Jurgens is the one who's primarily handling that. And there's the death of Adam Grant in one issue of Superman. And then there's the three-part Spilt blood arc. And then we sort mm-hmm. of get a follow-up with Cat Grant. So I do think that's something that would have benefited by sort of telling that story in, in succession as opposed to, you know, splitting it up like that. Yeah, yeah. But as far as the, the, the Toy Man and Adam Grant of it all, I mean, let, let's talk about it because this is something that I remember reading as a kid. And, you know, this is, you know, late 93, 94. So I'm like seven, six or seven as these are coming out. I mean, I remember, I wasn't traumatized by it, but I definitely remember being like, whoa. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, absolutely. And of it, course it, now for both of us, as fathers, it hits totally differently.
1: It it hits way different now because I think we could probably recall similar instances in the news. And I say that of, you know, children gone missing and, you know, being found dead and whatnot. Um, and to, you know, as a you know uh, you know when we were kids reading this none of that was even a thought of course we you know you heard stuff like that in the news but you're looking at it through different lenses and now to see first of all the cover of the of that issue that initial issue is just creepy you know and the the toy man is not the toy man that you know it's a darker iteration of the character that we than we've seen over the years you know there's There have been more goofy versions, um, which after reading this, I'm like, let's bring the goofy guy back, you know? Um, But yeah, it was, it's, it was, it really, it was a little difficult. Like, you know, obviously I knew where it was going and to finally get to that, I'm like, wow, really? They did that, huh? And it it was, it was, it made for a great story. Um, But I was like, wow! I forgot how serious and dark a Superman comic could get.
0: Yes, I I kind of remain split on it because it was. It, I mean, it, it's it's a real punch to the gut, yeah. and f- from the from Superman's perspective, right? He's he's on vacation in this issue, right? And he even says to Lois uh, that he you know, because he whisks her away. And he even says, like, don't we deserve this? Like, don't I, he literally uses the word, like, don't I deserve this? And that's a different color on the character. And I don't necessarily Mm. mind that because I think it is a very human impulse, especially after everything he literally just gave his life for the world. So, you know, the idea that, that he might feel that way you know, I thought was, was interesting to explore. And then the fact that, you know, he comes back and he hears the news and we talked about this in the last episode because the Doomsday Wars, which was in the late nineties, and I know you're familiar with the story, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, that dealt with, you know, with this, um, with, with this business and and Clark's guilt over not being there for him. And that's why he was trying so hard in in part, why he was trying so hard to save the baby of of Pete Ross and Lana Lang. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from the Superman point of view, I, I think it, it, it gives us you know, territory to explore. I think about it in terms of the character of Cat Grant and what it puts her through. And and, and again, as the reader, especially now as, as a dad, I mean, I was not looking forward to this. Like I knew this was coming, and I was honestly I was kind of dreading it because I'm like, oh my god. And you know, and you know what's coming. And when you read the story, and you know, they're at this birthday party. You know, Jimmy is dressed up as as the turtle and and turtle. all that. And, uh, you know, and Toy Man approaches in his dinosaur disguise and he lures Adam away. I mean, it's, it's horrific. It's, it's really sickening. And um, again, especially from that perspective as a parent, it just it really hits differently. Um, I, I think where I was, I was disappointed <laughs> by these stories is shortly after Adam's death, there's the funeral, and Cat is approached by Ira Green, the father of Sasha Green, the karate instructor that Lex II killed in an earlier batch of stories that we talked about last year. And he approaches her as someone, as a parent, as a a fellow parent who had to bury a child, the most horrific thing. And he approaches her and asks for help, right? Because the official story that Lex has put out, right, is that she moved to Co City and then of course Mm Co City was obliterated. So it's a a convenient excuse. And so he approaches her. And... I think that if the story had followed cat's investigation, if Kat had looked into this, I know she 's not typically that kind of journalist, but she could be right then I feel like we get more mileage out of this, and there 's more of a payoff, but instead, she immediately hands it off to lois and Lois yeah. has a great arc i mean don 't get me wrong, I love lois 's arc in these issues where she 's working to take down Lex the second, and she uncovers the fact that he 's actually lex the first it 's great for Lois. But it's like if you're gonna put Cat Grant through this, why why not why not give her this story and follow it through? I thought that was very curious.
1: I I agree with that because I was I've been reading it and that same scene you're you're referring to, she basically says, like, look, I'm 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 in, you know, I'm we're here at the funeral of my son. Uh I have I need to work through this grief. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. And uh, but I'm going to get back to you. OK, and I'm going to help you with this, but I'm going to get back to you in like a you know week or whatever it is. And we jump, you know, another issue or two ahead, what have you. And Lois is on this beat now. And again, I couldn't quite. I, it didn't. I, I agree with you. It didn't make sense. It would have definitely made for a better story and more powerful um, story arc for Kat for her to follow through on it in conjunction with her battling or them alluding to her battling some demons of her own, you know, the depression, uh, you know, apparently she was drinking or not drinking. The bottle was there. It wasn't opened. Uh, There was a gun in the drawer, but it wasn't loaded, that type of stuff. So, you know, they're alluding to these issues that, you know, she has and she's dealing with her grief. But if she were to turn that grief around, you know, turn a negative into a positive and use that anger or grief to fight for someone else, it would have really made for a better uh, story arc for her. And again, like you said, like, yeah, Lois is the investigative reporter. That's her thing. But for Kat to do it, I think it would have been uh, made for a better story in that sense.
0: I I mean, you can't help but wonder, was there was there not room to have them investigate together or something like that? Like, I feel like there was a, I really think this was a missed opportunity here. And I think it did Kat a disservice. I mean, she has a a little, she does have this moment where Vincent Edge, right? Her boss at GBS. I mean, it's really, it's really gross. I mean, he even says to her, like, oh, I guess we don't have to worry about a baby, like finding a babysitter now, right? Like it's, 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 that's the territory we're we're in. And she, he eventually gets his comeuppance. Uh, we don't see much follow-up or any follow-up to this in, in the issues that we read, but uh, she goes, Cat goes rogue on one of her broadcasts uh, and mentions that she and other female uh, employees at GBS are coming forward with accusations against uh, Vincent Edge. So, you know, she has that piece of it going on as well. But yeah, I, I, again, I, I just feel like that was a missed opportunity. And <laughs> going back to what you were saying before about the toy man, how you prefer the, the kind of the lighter toy man. Jeff Johns heard you loud and clear, baby. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm assu- Yeah, I, I you yeah. know. So it I'm assuming was- you've read that that action comics issue, right? From the Jeff Johns run that I'm referring to.
1: Um I'm sure I did, because Jeff he- Johns is just amazing in my
0: view. Where where he uh. retcons this.
1: Yeah. Th- well, so there were a f- few toy men. There was Toy Man, and then there was a Toy Man who was the little boy who was just super rich and smart and built, you know, like Superman, Batman robots and, and stuff. So, but yeah, I, I don't remember which one specifically that Jeff Johns was referring to.
0: So, this was one of the issues that was like, it was a one off sort of in between his, you know, he did Last Son of, you know, he did The Last Son arc, he did Legion of Superheroes, The Brainiacs. This was a one off sandwiched in between a couple of those arcs. But essentially, what we find out again, I'm jumping ahead, you know, decades here. yeah, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I I did read this to refresh my memory because I knew they dealt with this specifically. And and essentially what we find out is that the toy man who killed Adam Grant, the toy man with the buzzed head Mm. and the glasses and the cloak, right, who was hearing the voice of Mother... Uh, was not actually the real Toy Man, but was rather a, an android created, a very lifelike one uh, created by the real Toy Man. And in fact, even Hiro Nakamura, right? The the, the, the young Toy Man, right? Who was yeah. creating all of these devices for Batman and Superman. He too uh, was a creation of the real Toy Man. I, I know you're a fan of Jeff Johns. I'm not I'm not, not a fan of Jeff Johns. In fact, I've been a big fan of him uh, you know, uh, over the years. But I feel like this is Jeff Johns at his Jeff Johnsiest. Because he, <laughs> he pulled the same thing with Brainiac. Yes. It was the same deal with Brainiac. Yes. It's like, oh, all the other Brainiacs you've seen along the way, not the real Brainiac, uh, no. probes, they're probes. Here, yeah. all the other toy men you've seen? No, they're androids. Yeah. And it's, and look, <laughs> I so appreciate what he did with Hawkman back in the JSA days. Same thing there too. He was like, hey, all these Hawkmen, just reincarnation. So I feel like he, you know- He's gone back it's, to the well. The yeah. question I have is, w- with respect to Toyman in particular, w- was that the right call? Because I, I, you know, it's so tough to read that Adam Grant story. It's not, you know, it's hard to sit here and be like, "Oh, that was a really enjoyable story." Like, no, it's hard. It's very hard to read. But I, I don't. I don't know that I like the retcon that that Johns introduced. I mean, what, what do you think?
1: I um, I'm fine with it. I mean, it's because only because it it's comics, and you know that somewhere along the way, someone's gonna retcon that version, <laughs> and they'll they may go back to even darker version, you know, in in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, I think by retconning it like that, and you're it, it, it it's it's a way to bring a character back without turning people off, you know, because I'm sure. At somewhere along the way, there was someone in the office that said, look, we hate, we need to change this character that he's not so much of a of a dirtbag. You know, he's a bad guy, obviously. Um, but we, we can't have him be a, a child killer, you know, make a big dopey teddy bear that, you know, lets off gas or something. But he, he can't kill kids. So, um, you know, I, I'm I'm fine with it. Probably. You know, the younger version of Joe uh, probably would have a problem with it, <laughs> only because, you know, now I could see th- things a little bit, you know, through different eyes about it, you know, just knowing how the business works. Um, But yeah, no, I- I'm, o- I'm OK with that. Uh, as long as it makes sense, as long as it's, you know, look, there has to be a little su- bit of a, a suspension of disbelief when it comes to these characters, like. As long as it makes sense for the story and uh, I can get behind it, I'm, I'm cool.
0: It's and I don't I don't mean to keep dumping on Johns, but it's just kind of funny where, as I've talked about this before, that he you know he's never met a comic book parent that he didn't want to kill, right? Like every time he takes over a character, he introduces, you know, yeah. adds that to the history, uh, and then we see this this sort of fix that he employs in, in numerous instances. Um, it's just interesting, uh, yeah, when you kind of take that longer look. Uh, at the creator's work. But mm-hmm. in any event, there is there is an issue of Superman by Jurgens that we'll be discussing in our next episode. I think it's the next one or maybe the one after that, where uh, it sort of gives a little bit of a, a, a chronology of how Toy Man got to this point, okay. where essentially he was, he was approached while he was in prison, if I'm remembering correctly, um, to have toys made based on his likeness. And he eventually escaped and he went to the toy store and he found that, all of his toys hadn't sold and they were there on clearance and it just like set him off. And that's when he started hearing the voice of mother and he started blaming the children. uh, And that's what set him down this darker path. So I I guess I say that to say that I feel like the the retcon undermines the work that was done, but at the same time, I I get it. I do, I do totally get it. Um, But in any event, this was definitely one of the the key, you know, the key stories of, of what we read here. And,
1: um, the aspect of the, the character I didn't particularly like was the whole big or, you know, basically big baby, big kid aspect where he's in a oversized crib. Yeah. And I'm like that, it, that part of it is a little, it's kind of (laughs) dirty, you know, you know what I mean? It's there. That's some creepiness to it. Like, I, I probably it wouldn't have, you know, the fact that, I get it, he's killing a child, but um, if he had just like a regular lair, you know, like a, I don't know, uh, a dark room, but, it, you know, he didn't necessarily need to be in a, in an oversized crib and talking to mommy and, and, yeah that part of it was a little bit, nah, that was a little skeevy.
0: Yeah, it's tough. I mean it's it's really tough. Um you know not too long ago I we we covered the Brian Azarello Lieber mini series Man of Steel and that mm-hmm. you know firmly positions him as a as a pedophile. Um, mm-hmm. so and you know we're I think we're in that territory here although they're not explicit with anything, but it's it's definitely it's tough. It's 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 very tough and a very very dark story. I think overall again in terms of what what we get in terms of Superman, I think there's some you know some valuable material there. I think ultimately it did more of a disservice to Kat. And I wish that, you know, we had seen, we had followed her more through this. If you're going to put her through this, at least let it be for something. But in any event, let's take a quick commercial break. There's so much more to unpack about this stretch of the triangle era. So we'll uh, we'll do that uh, right after this uh, commercial break. We'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at FilmFreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen on Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order and it helps support the show. Thank you. All Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit allyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Oh yeah. And we're back. Okay, so I know we talked about the Toy Man story. Right before that, real quick, we did have a few issues that were sort of tidying up uh, some reign of the Superman business, and in particular, the reign of the Superman characters, the remaining replacements, uh, Mm -hmm. Steel, Superboy, and Eradicator. And essentially, these issues were... More or less, sending them off on their spinoff adventures, uh, which which they would have. So, you know, there was an issue of Man of Steel where John Henry Irons talked about going to DC, and of course, he would get his own DC set, uh, Washington DC, <laughs> yeah, Washington DC set uh, Steel series. Uh, we had an issue with Superboy where uh, Westfield, the director of Cadmus, uh, you know, sort of you know sends these you know monsters after Superboy because he's talked about you know Cadmus in the news. Uh, he would go off to have his Hawaii set Superboy series, and uh, Eradicator. Um, you know, seemingly he perished in Reign of the Superman, but in fact he had lived though he was brain dead. And there's this Doctor David Connor, Connor or Connors? I forget. Connor.
1: I think it's Connor.
0: All right, we'll go with that
1: because it was Kurt Connors that was in Spider Man. Yes. So yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, we'll go with that. So we have David Connor, who's 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 dying of cancer, and he's in, you know researching or studying uh, Eradicator, and there's this power surge, and he ends up fusing with Eradicator. So now you have the the, the body and powers of Eradicator and the mind of David Connor, and so so those three characters are kind of like set off on their own adventure. And you know, we would see Steel would come back during the Worlds Collide crossover, and Superboy would continue right. to you know pop up here and there as well. I, I guess generally speaking, were, like, did you follow, did you did you read the Steel and Superboy series? Did you read the Outsiders, which featured Eradicator? Did, were you into that stuff?
1: I, so I didn't read Outsiders. Uh, I read Superboy and Steel. Uh, I really, be, I really enjoyed Superboy as a character. Not so much during those Hawaii uh, storylines. Um, I mean, you know the fact that King Shark was introduced is kind of cool, but uh, I I love Superboy as a character because I have been able to see his evolution over the years. Um, because I've you know we've seen him go from you know the the clone of Superman to um, you know doing his own thing, the Superboy and the Ravers, which was just terrible. Uh, but I have every issue uh and then you know he was in young justice and then teen titans and all that and you know he went away and came back so i really love his character uh and being able to see him evolve um and i was that was one of the things that i told dan didio about um when we talked to him that i was really bummed that when new 52 happened superboy went away because i think that whole crew and i don't mean to get off topic here But uh, that whole group of of young Justice Teen Titans really hit its stride right before uh, New 52 happened. Those characters were compelling. They were growing both physically and, um, you know, story-wise. They were just getting better, deeper. Uh, They were changing, you know, their outfits. You know, little things here and there. Um, And you don't see that in comics. You don't, you, for most part, you really don't see that. Um, for the most part, you know, Batman's Batman. He's going to be his age. You know, he may get a little angrier or darker. The same, let's say, for, you know, Superman's the same. You know, they're, most of the characters that we know and love are kind of in their era. Um, with the exception of the Teen Titans and the Young Justice people. You know they were sidekicks. They grew up into adult superheroes, and then they ushered in a new group of sidekicks and adult superheroes. So that's why I appreciate those. But to, to get back to your question, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, the um, and Steel I really liked too, and I was bummed when they started changing his costume and he didn't have the traditional Superman S. He had more of a blocky S, and then it went away, and then it came back. So you know, and then Shaq made a movie.
0: Yeah, baby. Shaq? No, I I don't. Uh, I I hear what you're saying, and hey, I mean I was a big fan of that Young Justice era, so mm-hmm. yeah, I was really bummed. Um, certainly in the New Fifty Two era, uh, mm-hmm. for, for sure. So I, I'm with you on that. I I've read. It's funny. I mean, I've read very little, actually, believe it or not, of the Steel and Superboy series. I've read none of the Outsider series that featured Eradicator, uh, Steel and Superboy. We will be covering down the line. Uh, Superboy, not too far from now. Steel will probably be a little bit later. I don't know that I'll ever really dive into that Outsiders series. And I know mm-hmm. there was also a three-part Eradicator miniseries. Did you ever read yeah. that back in the day?
1: Uh, I have, I think, like the first issue, but I never, for whatever reason, just never got or read the rest.
0: I, I put a call out on Twitter recently, and that was kind of the feedback that I got. was like, mm, it's okay. You might, <laughs> it, might yeah. it might be okay to skip. I, with respect to Eradicator, yeah, how do I put this? I I think that character would have been better served, at least for the time being, by having actually made the sacrifice of, of his life to bring back Kal El in, in Engine City. I think this whole thing of like, oh no, he actually survived, but he's brained it and then he merges. You know, we've seen the Eradicator take on numerous forms. Right from the initial device that he was to the the humanoid Krypton man to the quote unquote Superman of Reign of the Superman. So we know, you know, he can survive and evolve and come back in different forms. And I think maybe if they had really given him a break and really made it that he sacrificed himself in Reign of the Superman, that would have been my preference. And the whole idea of merging it's really interesting. One of the other things that we'll get to later in the podcast series is the, the Peter David Supergirl series where oh, yeah. Matrix merges with a dying Linda Danvers, right? And yeah. becomes this earthborn angel, that whole business for people who remember. But it's interesting to me. That was kind of what I had in my head when I was reading this. Like it's, it's interesting to see with both Supergirl and Eradicator was this idea of taking these initially artificial life forms, right, and fusing them with, with humans, in the case of Eradicator, though, I, I think that I think that David Connor business like really undermines the the core concept of what the Eradicator is. This yeah. again, this cold, artificial form that is is designed only to preserve Krypton in the Kryptonian way. In fairness, like I said, I've not read that miniseries. I've not read that Outsider series. So, you know, if there are any fans out there, like let me know. I don't know. Maybe there's something that <laughs> like I'm, I'm yeah, discounting.
1: I, 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 I agree with you. I think he's one of those characters that you should only kind of break out once in a while. Um, you know, Superboy and Steel, they are full-on heroes and you want them to go on to have successful heroic careers. Uh characters like um, you know, Joker, um you know, now Joker That Laughs or Batman That Laughs or whatever the hell his name is. You know, like they're extreme. Like You know you should only break those out when you know when it's a big deal i think eradicator is one of them and cyborg superman had he became one of those you know like you didn't hear from him for a long time and then he made an appearance he came back uh, you know and they brought him back for uh you know sinestro corp war and that whole thing and like all right that made sense there's a compelling story there um You know, the same thing for Eradicator. If he's going to give his life, you need to make that matter. So you can't just have a guy give his life for the ultimate superhero. And then, you know, a few issues down the road. Now he's just this guy, you know, he's another superhero in the shuffle. It doesn't it makes what his sacrifice somewhat meaningless or less meaningful, I should say.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, you know, one of the other questions that our our patron Brian had raised and oh, we might come back to this in other episodes. But he asked, you know, were there any characters who, you know, we we, we wish had stuck around, or alternatively, characters who were introduced who we wish hadn't been. And I will say that I, I can totally appreciate it. I know at the time, I remember the the advertising campaign was "Reign of Tomorrow," right? Yeah. And there was the Supergirl miniseries, which I was not officially homework for this. I did read that though. as Roger Stern wrote it, and it tied in with. Uh, Lex the Second's deterioration due to this clone plague, right, yeah. leading into the battle for Metropolis and the fall of Metropolis. But so there was a Supergirl four-part miniseries, there was a the New Steel ongoing, and the Superboy ongoing, and the three of those together were under this banner Reign of Tomorrow. And again, Eradicator would very shortly pop up as a as a you know a regular cast member and, and outsider. So, like I know they had other plans for these characters and they had other other places for them. But I—that's one of the things that I wish, maybe, could have played out in the pages of of these issues that we read. You know, to see more interaction between Clark and John Henry, or Clark and and Superboy at the, at that point in time. Yeah. Um. So to you know to Brian's question, yeah, that's one of the things. You know, they have those initial issues, but then like they're kind of off. So I wish that we had been able to have more with them at that point.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with you. They're they were created as a result of a major Superman story arc and they should be a little bit more integral and, you know, a little bit more than what they were.
0: Yeah. But in any event, you do get those those issues. You know, the other thing that I, I do wonder, going back to what you were saying before about kind of our overall impressions of of this this period of the Triangle mm-hmm. era, I mean, I, I, I have to imagine that that after death, and funeral and rain, there had to be some level of burnout. And I know you did have someone new like Barry Kitson coming on, but you know, I wonder, that's, that's one of the things that I was thinking of as, as I was reading this. I wonder if there was a little bit of that going on and, and maybe that might account for why I didn't feel it was quite up to the, the level that I felt it achieved in the, in the earlier part of the Triangle Era. Uh, I, you know, I, I just wonder because I was such a what I'm sure was a very hectic time, and there were a lot of eyes on them and a lot of attention. And these were big. I mean, these were big stories that they were telling, yeah, for an extended period of time. So, you know, I, I wonder if that was kind of at play as they were heading into this post rain period.
1: I think reading it in the you know a large uh, chunk that we that we've had to do for this, you see a bit of. Um, of that burnout, because you're you know out of the gate, or at least as it pertains to you know the section I'm we're reading here, out of the gate you have some very heavy storylines, and like I said, you know it 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 that line goes up and down because you have some weak you know content <laughs> along the way, and I think you know look you know the writers um, you're basically they were creating a weekly you know call it whatever the title is action. Uh, Man of Steel adventure. It's it's a Superman comic. It's it has be it became a weekly uh, series, uh, so they have to basically, you know, they're writing their own stories for those issues. But they, I'm sure they were, you know, they're going back to the overall, you know, the the editors, and like this is what we have, and they have to fall in line with that. So, you know, there's going to be some fatigue after a while. And I'm sure, you know, I'll put it this way. There's a reason why there's not that many Superman titles now. Because after a while, they came to realize, like, dude, we're going to kill ourselves. You know, if we keep this up. So and from a fan point of view, you're going to get a little burned out on Superman. You know, like I got crap. There's another another one each week. I got to get read all this, read all this. And granted, they're, you know, each issue uh, concentrated on a different aspect of what was going on. But. Still, after a while, like you need a little bit of a super uh, breather.
0: I think that's it. I think for both the creators and the audience, I think that that's that's going on there. And one of the things I was reflecting on is that I feel like one of the criticisms that's been levied against this era, and it's one that I've sort of parroted over the years, and now I'm I'm evaluating it for myself, reading it through adult eyes, is that. After the success of of the Death of Superman, that the creators of the Triangle Era were always sort of chasing something along those lines. That you had these these you know uh, the intention right was creating events in, in similar scope and scale. And and I guess going into this reading assignment, I was hoping that that wouldn't necessarily be the case. That I would feel like no, no, that wasn't that wasn't really what they're doing. But you know, so much of what we read here was dominated by the the destruction of Metropolis. Mm -hmm. And there were so many, like, I don't know if you were clocking this, but there were so many instances where, I think about when Superman was fighting Massacre, for example, where characters would be like, oh, haven't seen him go up against someone like that since Doomsday. Or, you know, he hasn't seemed so determined or so relentless. Speaking about Superman, he hasn't seemed so relentless since he went up against Doomsday. (laughs) It's always, always calling that to mind. Now, uh, here, I'll play both sides because I'm like, all right, on the one hand, it's like, all right, like, like beating us over the head with this and, and really trying to, I guess, reconjure some of that <laughs> death of Superman magic. But on the other hand, in fairness, this was such a monumental traumatic event in all of their lives. So it is actually reasonable that they would be thinking about that. Like when Superman goes into battle with Massacre, who, you know, in appearance and motives is not dissimilar from Doomsday. So I actually will, i will back off on yeah. that because I feel like that does track.
1: I, I agree with you. Uh you know, that's I think that's the it's think about comics, at least with these comics. They're 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 repetitive like we've mentioned and you know, I think maybe that's done a little that's done purposefully because you may have people who are, you know, jumping in at a particular time. So they're throwing in these little uh these lines and um you know, this dialogue so people can kind of you know, Keep that in there, in the back of their head. Uh, but at the same time, <clears throat> the time frame in which all this happens in comic book world is not equivalent to the way it's happening in the real world. You know, we have the death of Superman um, and all the occurrences thereafter up until you know the area that we're we're covering. I don't know what is that? Uh, two years. A year you know whatever it is it's it's a it's a certainly a compressed time that's why like if we were to live let's just say and I've always I'm as a comic book reader I always read this okay let's say you're a superhero right so every goddamn day you're fighting us <laughs> there is some thing going on how does Clark Kent write a, a I mean God knows I know he could type super fast but come on Every day he's fighting something, every day he's saving a person, uh, and there's some major event happening that's resetting his life. What? You know, like, after a while, like, you can't be upset that Metropolis was destroyed yet again. When did they have the time to rebuild it from the last major event? So, you know, it's... When you start thinking of things logically (laughs) like that, it just... It puts things into their perspective. So yeah, they're going to keep mentioning Doomsday because, you know, it ri- literally just happened, you know.
0: Yeah. No, I'm with you. I, you know, I know the last batch of stories that we read were the issues that tied into the Zero, zero Hour event. And what's so funny there is that, and I do appreciate this, that the yeah you know, the regular Superman creative teams had Clark checking in at the Daily Planet. And when I just as I was reading it, it's like, yeah. what, <laughs> what is this guy doing this? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Just like, to make you, you know, make, just to remind you, yeah, he's got a job. He's got a, you know.
0: Yeah. So I, I one of the things that, like I said, and I guess this kind of ties back to what I was saying with, with Cat Grant, I again, a few, a few threads that I wished had been continued. Uh, one of them is very minor, but I liked it and I felt like it was done away with so quickly. Clark rooming with Jimmy Olsen. Right. <laughs> so he, you know, Clark comes back from the dead as well. Right. As we dealt with, you know, at the end of reign of the Superman and his, his superboy's actually living in his apartment at, at this point in time. And you know, so much of metropolis has been demolished. It's hard to find a place where, you know, it's still the nineties. I guess it would have been too, too progressive for uh, the engaged Lois and Clark to move in together. That's not even, mm-hmm. they don't even bring that up. It's Not no. even mentioned, but so he ends up living with Jimmy and you know, it's like, it's a new, a little bit of a new shade of Clark. He's got a new lease on life. He's back. They're like blasting music. It's, you know, it's a little bit of a different side of it that just kind of goes nowhere. But it was. Yeah. And
1: Jimmy still doesn't know that he's Superman.
0: Yeah. But again, like, that's one of those things. You know, do, do I expect that this would be a major part of the stories, the two of them living together? No. But I, I just think it was like a cool little bit that there just wasn't room for.
1: Yeah. In in, I, these, I guess, in these big stories. You know, they throw it in there to to remind you, like, yeah, he's got a, a normal life aside from all this. And when he's not fighting crime, he's this is where he's sleeping. So,
0: yeah, no, exactly. So, I, I mean, I don't have a ton to say necessarily about that spilled blood arc. I don't know if you wanted to spend time on that um, before we get to the, you know, Superman's uh, overcharged uh, spilled powers. Spilled
1: blood dealing with uh, that was uh, blood sport and blood thirst. Yeah. So I the only thing I wa- really wanted to say about that is it was I appreciated the realness of that story and that you have someone who is and I only say that because, you know, it was kind of echoed uh, or very similar in the, you know, the Peacemaker series. You know, you had a white supremacist who has somewhat like of some weirdo superpowers and he's going around killing minorities and, you know, uh, other non-Caucasian people. Um you know, other than that, it was it it bookended this whole arc, quite literally, because you know, right out of the gate it's uh you know, right after Toy Man it's it's blood sport. And then <laughs> right at the very end, uh before we jump into zero hour blood sport, or no, right after again, I guess. I lost track. But, but anyway, Bloodsport shows up again. Um, so, you know, it was a pretty. Um, it was you know I, I appreciate those stories that are, as they say, ripped from the headlines. So,
0: yeah, I think the, you know, the bloods. It's interesting, and again, going back to what we were saying about where these stories are placed. It was real. I mean, it was tough going from the slaughter of a child. To this white supremacist supervillain, like it was, it was yeah. just like it was. A, that's what I'm saying. It just felt like a little bit much. Like on the one hand, it felt, on the one hand, it felt a little jarring to not be following Cat as directly as as you might like coming out of, you know, her her story. But then on top of that, it's like just going from one very dark, very ugly plot line to another. It was just a little bit much. The blood sport aspect of it, I do think, is interesting. To your point, and and I think yeah. you know it gives. You know, Ron Troop, the, the black reporter at the Daily Planet, gets a lot of play uh in, in that. And in Bloodsport's return later on. And and you know, Ron Troop in that in that later issue, he saves the day, right? He's the one yeah. who realizes, right, that Bloodsport is he's you know transporting weapons in from some someplace. And Ron tracks down where this place is and he blows it up. And the next time Bloodsport tries to call in on one of his weapons, it's just scrap. Like it was great. Yeah. You know, that was great. Uh the whole high tech character. Uh, who, who who's also involved with this, and then Bloodthirst, who's really pulling the strings and is trying to sow the seeds of conflict uh, throughout society. I just it lost me, man. I was not. I, I was not yeah. having that.
1: I, I agree with you. Um, the it, it just it went in too many directions, uh, and the artwork on that um, Bloodthirst character just pissed me off. I, I just you know, there's no other way to say it. I, I can't sugarcoat it. It just it angered me because she looked like something out of like Mad Magazine, and I'm like, "This is look, I get this is your style, man, but y- you gotta you gotta use your eraser a little bit more."
0: <laughs> like, yeah, it was rough. I mean, I don't know, like for <laughs> for anyone, and I'm I'm sure there are people listening who are like, "Who the hell is Bloodsport? Like Bloodthirst? Who are they talking yeah. about?" I, I mean, I'm looking at it right now on my iPad. It's like I don't know. It's a cross between like Bane and and I don't know what.
1: It it's I don't know man it it so it's this it, the cover is just this bondage looking woman you know holding um su- uh, you know the get to the thing just the tattered cape and she's got this weirdo you know face on so it, it it's it's kind of reminiscent of something from like the Batman the animated series uh, or the uh, you know the the Justice League Unlimited series, you know, something kind of off the wall like that, you know, um, and she's like, you know, super China jacked, but it didn't, like, first of all, why is blood, one is blood sport, the other one was blood thirst. You couldn't think of any other name. Like, it just, there's too much similarity between those names, first of all. And um, like you said, she's got like, green mist coming out of her her i don't know these holes in her in her body it's like very reminiscent of bane so i don't know it didn't like it i I lost me in there i i'll be honest with you i just skimmed through that because i was like this pisses me off (laughs) i
0: I mean i remember not liking this as a kid i remember like i remember that and that held true here you know, as I'm, you know, kind of scrolling through this iPad screen on the DC app, they do, they, I, you know, credit where credit's due, I dump on the DC app a lot, but they do have the triangle era organized very nicely. Kudos to whoever set that up. Oh, good. Uh, so we, we do have that there. But, you know, as I'm looking through this, on the one hand, there's, I think there's a lot of momentum in these issues, but I think that works against my enjoyment in certain instances because I feel like it would be nice to sort of settle back in here. You know, and I don't mean to belabor the point, but set, spending some more time with the supporting cast and seeing Clark mm-hmm. re to being back. Again, we do have, like I said before, you know, when he he and Lois are away and he talks about deserving a break and and moving in with Jimmy and exploring his, you know, musical, you know, tastes. But I don't, like, there's not enough of that. And, and, yeah. I, and, and in fairness, I don't know that, you know, these comics in the 90s like, were necessarily you know that this wasn't necessarily the mandate but i don't know like it would have been cool the death was such a, a mom- momentous uh, event in the character's journey and it would have been cool to see that unpacked and explored a little bit more and i felt like these stories just like kept barreling forward and on the one hand it's like okay like it you know keeps it cool it keeps it exciting for the reader but I think that worked against it for me in a lot of these things. Cause it's just like, you know, again, as I'm scrolling through here, it's like next we're off, you know, Superman's in space for a few issues. Uh, we come back for the bizarro arc we get into, and then we're like right into the fall of Metropolis. Like it's just one thing after the next. It doesn't let up at all.
1: Yeah. I appreciate those ep- those episodes. I keep talking like it's it. A-
0: I do that. Serious. I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I appreciate those issues that kind of rein things back in. Um, and I think the same holds true, really, for TV shows too, because you know there are there, you have a um, you know your penultimate episode, you have these big arcs, you have big events that happen. Well, the next event that happens is only going to be good if you take a beat, gather your thoughts, catch your breath, and kind of you know regroup. Um, you know, to and I I say this from. You know, as someone who just, you know, reads current comics, it's one event after another after another. And we went in the past few years, we've gone through a bunch of crises, you know, uh, of major events happening. And they're only going to be good if you have the time to kind of, like you said, unpack it you need to kind of explore what happened and see how that the last event affected the world that you're in and to go to jump mm. from one to the other like after a while it's first of all the 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 seriousness or the gravitas of each event is not going to be measurable if you don't have something that's you know if you don't have any downtime in between so
0: that's the thing, and I feel like that's what the earlier segment of the triangle era did better, I mean, unless I'm just <laughs> remembering it that way, but I, I really feel like there were more there were more moments and stories like that. So yeah. you know as as we make our way through here, we get into this business that I was talking about before of of Superman's powers expanding. And like I said, I mean, it's issue after issue. There's some instance where he experiences a power some sort of power surge, right? And, you know, it's not until after the Bizarre arc, which, you know, we will talk about, but uh, where things really come to a head and his body enlarges. And, you know, it's funny when we talk about like it's called digging for kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. One part of my Superman fan journey that I don't I think I've largely forgotten and I don't think I have really talked about. I came in, as everyone knows, with Death of Superman, but I there were a couple of points along the way in the Triangle era where I kind of like fell off. But I like relatively quickly got back on and caught up. So it wasn't like, oh man, I was out of it for years. It was like, no, like I kind of took a step back, but then I caught up in back issues. And I, I think, so I don't know, Man of Steel 33, Superman 89. Those are the issues where Superman is, is at his largest physically, like mm. physically, literally. And yeah. I feel like those were maybe my like last issues for a little while. And then I went back. Like I, I hated, and even upon reread, did not care for this what what was your take on this whole this whole run um
1: it it's so reading this this initial you know his powers get all weird it it's a reoccurring theme with superman you know like his powers go haywire for a while and he's got to find a way to overcome that and sometimes he becomes a blue electricity guy and other times he's swinging from, you know, the buildings with a grappling hook. So like it, I, I, I don't like the, just the grotesque, huge Superman either. Uh, he looks like a Neanderthal, but, I, you know, I guess that's kind of, you know, he's grown to monstrous proportions and that's the look they're going for. Um, you know, it, it, it was okay. It didn't bother me so much. Um, I was, I, I got a little bit more annoyed than the fact that he's just getting entangled in other, you know, you know, outer space, uh, political issues or, you know, uh, you know, intertwined in other people's business. Um, that bothered me a little bit more. I'm like, just mind your own damn business. (laughs) You know, like your, your, your powers are going haywire. Just go fix yourself.
0: Okay, so that that's a perfect segue. First, though, let me say, so yes, he does have this whole run of issues where he's he's like lost in space, and he's able to breathe. You know, he doesn't need to breathe for this ex- yeah. extremely extended period of time, which is different for him. Uh, shout out to our, our, our one of our guests on the show, Justin Devoe, who cosplays as Lobo. Um, I thought of him, of course, as I was reading the, those Lobo issues. But you, so what you what you just brought up speaks to. I think the biggest problem that I had with this power surge or whatever you want to call it is that it takes him so long to seek help. It actually annoyed me. And and especially since we're getting all of this repetition, all of these instances where he knows something's a little amiss. And yes, he's plenty busy and he's being pulled in a lot of directions. But there's one of the issues where he finally goes to help. the The precipitating event for that is you know I think this when he returns to Earth like he crashes to a through a building or something like that and and Maggie Sawyer with the s c u shows up and he like turns he's ready to turn himself in right to mm-hmm. to the s c u and Maggie like it was a very clever scene, and I like the way it was played where she's like, oh like a, you know basically saying like, oh, I'm sure you know it was some villain who did this and or or whatever someone who did this like whoever did this probably should could go should go get checked out right They don't need to be locked up, wasting time, yeah. And it's like, hey, buddy! Like, like she's giving you a hint here, and I love that moment for Maggie. But I'm thinking to myself, it's like, why, why have you needed this nudging? Like you should have. I don't know. It just kind of it just kind of annoyed me. I felt like it was so drawn out before he finally goes to Hamilton for help. Now, one thing I liked about this, you know, Hamilton's theory is that when um, all that kryptonite energy in Engine City passed through the Eradicator into Superman, that that. That irradiated form of energy is what's causing him to to absorb too much solar radiation and uh, for his powers to to go amok and for him to en- enlarge like this. So, I guess I like that callback. I, it was a I don't know was it a good payoff to the Engine City? I, I don't I don't know. Part of me is like, well, I, I could have done without this altogether. But if we're gonna have it, at least it tied into something.
1: I I I don't think they need to keep going back to the events of Death of Superman. And have these lingering <laughs> things, you know? Death of Superman and all the subsequent events around that series just need to be remain in there. I mean, the fact that you have Superboy and Steel, fine, uh, and all these other characters that came out of it, but the lasting effects, I think, you know, like, it, again, it comes back kind of like to the Eradicator stuff I said, you know, like, The fact that, okay, he got the powers back as a result of him sacrificing himself at that convoluted, you know, kind of event. Fine. Okay, cool. But he got the powers back, right? And he kicked ass in that last, you know, uh, end of the uh, the issue. So, okay, so cool. And he's the end of that issue is him flying like big, you know, badass Superman. you know, straight at the, uh, you know, the, the reader. He's like, I'm back. Okay. So then you jump forward to now and now your powers are all screwy as a result. So doing stuff like this, I think lessens the, the impact of those events. You know, it doesn't make it mad. And maybe I'm just being a crotchety person now, but like, it just seems like, Move on. You can make, look, it's comics. You can make the power issues be anything else as a result of all the stuff that Lex Luthor is doing to, you know, clone his body. Somehow there's some side effect that affected, you know, like tie it into something that's currently going on. Not to this event that happened, you know, in comics at that point, you know, two years ago. So I don't know.
0: No, I think I'm with you, man. I think it does I think it does more harm than good. and it does undermine what what had come before. yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, there's there part of me that sort of likes that it ties back in. But, yeah, on the other hand, it's like just kind of leave it be. And yeah, I don't know. Like I think back to the end of. Reign of the Super. I think it was one of those, uh, I forget the issue number, but an issue of, of Adventures of Superman where he's, you know, flying through the sky at the end and he's like, I'm back. Like, I feel better than ever. And it's like, well, yeah. now you go back and look at that. It's like, well, you feel better than ever because you're like supercharged and this is going to go very badly for you. Uh, you know, for anyone who really is not familiar with these issues, I mean, it's, You know, I think use the word grotesque. It's like if Superman enlarges to the point of 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 the Hulk, for example, right? Like he's Mm -hmm. just this lumbering mass. Like he can't he can't sit down on a chair. He can't touch anything. I I think if I don't know if there had been more time to explore that, I don't know that aspect that his his powers were so working against him that he couldn't he couldn't help people. I don't know. I think it's also the visual. There's just something about it that, from when I was a little kid, I always just felt so off. Off, like, put off by Yeah,
1: it, yeah. it was definitely off-putting. I, I agree with you 100%. I looked at it, and, you know, he has to, in one one moment, he has to wrap metal from a ship that had blown up around his head so he didn't just blast people with his, you know, his heat vision and stuff like that, and he just, you know, the the cover really did it, I mean, it. I hate looking at it, but, like, it, you know, it, it kind of encapsulated the events of the issue pretty well. And that, you know, he looks like a lumbering Neanderthal, like just veiny, like he is just on something. Um, you know, it may, it made the, I'll tell you one thing, the cover, made you think that the issue is a lot darker than it was going to be. Yes. You know, like I thought there was going to be some major stuff going on and it just wasn't that, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was glad I got through this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So yeah,
0: and and eventually so Parasite is able to drain away that excess yeah. energy and Superman gets a clean bill of health. But so I'm going to I'm going to back up a little bit here to go to this Bizarro's World arc, but this ties in with really most of the rest of what we're talking about, which is this clone plague that is afflicting the some of the the, the clones of Cadmus as well as the Underworlders and and of course, perhaps most notably uh, Lex Luthor II, uh, the son of Lex Luthor, who is actually the original Lex Luthor in a cloned body, posing as his own Australian son. I always have to remind myself to to hear Lex, Lex II's dialogue and that Australian accent. I always, I, it just adds it, to it.
1: The, well, it wasn't until you just said it that I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I totally didn't remember that and <laughs> until you said it. I'm like... Oh yeah, sure. Because of course he's Australian. But doesn't that but color everything differently? But he looks like the biggest Scotsman in the world. I mean,
0: yeah. Well, we talked about this last year because you know all of this business about him being Australian was came before the death of Superman. And so when I started, I mean, I don't know that there were necessarily many, if any, references in the death and reign and the stories that we read now. Like most of it came before. So when I was reading these stories as a kid, like I never, I didn't even didn't even dawn on me. So now going back, it's like, oh yeah, like he's Australian, allegedly. Yeah.
1: Cause naturally. <laughs>
0: <sighs> so again, like I said, I mean, this really carries us through the, probably the bulk of, of what we read. I know we're past the hour mark here, but you know, Uh-oh. the bulk of, it's all good. Uh, of what we read here, this, this, again, this plague that is afflicting the clones of Metropolis that will lead to this conflict between LexCorp and Cadmus and the Underworlders. Really, these three these three forces coming together, and you know that wreaks enough havoc on the city. But it, you know it's ultimately Lex's plans, and then later his failsafes that result in the truly the utter destruction of Metropolis. First in the battle for Metropolis, and then the fall of Metropolis. So this leg of the reading. I mean, I guess like I said, big picture, what's your uh what, what was your take on on this?
1: Well, I like Bizarro. The character of Bizarro. I really enjoy it. And you know, I know there's been numerous uh iterations uh, of Bizarro over the years. Um I I like this one. However, I really fell in love with the Ed McGuinness uh version of Bizarro. Um you know, the whole talking and opposites gets a bit wonky after a while. Uh, but the Ed McGinnis version of Bizarro really, I, I really adored that one. And then the most recent versions of Bizarro kind of was had been really cool in current comics. And I don't know if he's in anything now. I think he died somehow giving his life to help somebody. Um, you know, he was very hipsterish. He grew out of mohawk and a goatee and all that sort of thing. Um But uh, as pertains to the rest of the story, I was rushing to get through it so I can hit the zero hour stuff. Because it seemed like, okay, I understand there's a lot going on. There are these warring factions. um, But it seems like this is something Superman could have really taken care of much easier than lasting as much as it did. You know, call in someone else if you need a hand, but like... These goofball underworlders were the ones that when Death of Superman was kicking off, they were the goofballs at the beginning of the of those of that series, and they were quite literally comic relief in those issues. Especially the guy with the spikes in his head. And, you know, he was like eating a like he ate a like a grenade or something stupid like that. And if he's gonna be comic relief, to have him back as more of a um You can't believe him as to be a challenge in any way. So um, it it just seemed like this was filler for Zero Hour until they got to the Zero Hour issues.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so I think that kind of lines up with my overall impressions of a lot of this as well. So I guess as far as... As, as the different factions, and I guess just to give some, some context for people. So again, clones are dying. The underworlders who were these failed cloned experiments of Project Cadmus blame Cadmus in large part because they go to Professor Emil Hamilton for help. And he, he surmises that when uh, Cadmus flooded the tunnels underneath Metropolis, this is when they were stealing Superman's body back during a funeral for a friend, something in the water caused them to get sick, right? So they have their sights set on Cadmus, uh, and meanwhile, Lex Luthor, right, because Lex II, he is suffering from this as well. And he was involved in that business on, in the tunnels as well. Um, and he proposes an alliance slash merger with Paul Westfield, the director of Cadmus, who rebuffs him. Um, and then, so that sets Lex off, right? And he goes on the news and he's condemning Cadmus and he's staging this attack on Cadmus. And then it, it just sort of snowballs from there. Uh, so again, you have the Underworlders, you have Cadmus, you have Corp. And, uh, you know, it's all building. (sighs) One of my favorite Batman stories is No Man's Land. Yeah. And it's what got me into reading Batman. The earthquake, to me, is the least interesting part of that (laughs) storyline. Yeah. Where that gets going, where that really gets cooking, is when you see these, these different factions within Gotham carving up the territory you know, some on the side of good, some not, and, and, you know, fighting to hold on and, and, you know, Batman having this, this crisis of faith and abandoning Gotham and coming back. Like there's some really good stuff there. And maybe this is unfair to put on the Superman creators of the time, because, you know, it's easy to say with the benefit of hindsight and seeing a story like, like No Man's Land. But as I'm reading this, you know, so much of the story is building towards the destruction but I feel like the more interesting part is, well, okay, what comes after? And in this case, like nothing comes after because very shortly, very shortly after Metropolis is reduced to rubble, we have zero hour. And in the next yeah. episode, we'll talk about the zero month issues where all of the books had a zero issue. And, you know, Metropolis is restored by that point. And later on, there will be an issue where we see exactly how that happened. Magic was involved. They use Perry White's memory of Metropolis to bring it back. It's this whole thing. <laughs> But I guess I just feel like I I have to imagine when they were having their super summit, you know, there's this idea and I, I don't know, but I have to imagine that there was some instance of like, well, you know, we can destroy the city because we have this very convenient reset point coming up. Right. And I just feel like if you're. It just goes back to the Cat Grant thing. It's like, all right, if you're gonna murder this poor woman's son, it's like see this through and and use it for something with her character. Same thing here. It's like, all right, if you're gonna destroy the city, take the time to really tell that storyline. And and yes, with the benefit of hindsight, we know that something like Batman No Man's like could be a really rich story, really rich territory to explore. But here, so much of it is just about the actual destruction of it. Right. And you know, this I found war on me as well because. Uh, You know, and all this clone business is really building for a lot of issues. And then Battle for Metropolis is a good four issues. The Fall of Metropolis is another five issues. Um, You know, the the worlds collide and the massacre issues and bloodsport. That's all dealing with that immediate aftermath. Like it's it's a lot.
1: It is a lot, and I, I, and again, this is a a comic book, you know, trope. But why is Metropolis getting destroyed so? Much of a problem now when it wasn't in the past, or why is it more important now? Let me put it that way. Because during Death of Superman, I mean, the city was just just destroyed. Uh, of course, it's been destroyed over the years, like any other major event or any other battle with superheroes. So it's a you know it's it's again you have to make these things matter, and I don't think they pulled off the reason for it mattering. In other words, I think it was, you know, these two or these factions that are somewhat, one of which very low level, quite literally and figuratively, um, and going up against, you know, LexCorp and all that sort of thing. You know, like this really shouldn't have, it just seems like it shouldn't have happened. Superman could have squashed this. <laughs> you know, he could have done a better job. Um, and you know, the Lynch, the whole, the thing that really, um, of course they, you know, they made it the most dramatic is when the Daily Planet globe falls. That's the big thing. You know, the other buildings falling, terrible. But when that globe falls, that's the big, you know, F you.
0: (laughs) And I will say though, what worked about that for me was seeing it through the eyes of Perry White. And I think that's where... I've said this a lot on the show, especially when we talk about the big events and crossovers. Where, for me, having a point of view character goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like had this story been told through the eyes of Perry White, you know, beyond just that that moment of the of the Globe's destruction, I don't know. It might have it might have had a little more resonance. But you, you know, you didn't have that. Uh, our patron Brian also asked when uh perry white starts saying great shades of elvis because that was of course you know a big part of the character on lois and clark the new adventures of superman and i so i don't know if it was like the very first but i know that in one of those zero hour crossover issues where perry white is being erased from the timeline as he fades away he does say great shades of elvis so everything
1: is it it, it all comes back to lois and clark it all comes back <laughs> to lois <Wilson> and clark
0: <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, so in any event, this, I, I agree with you. And maybe, maybe this is becoming a bit of a theme here. You know, Superman shouldn't have taken that vacation with Lois. Superman should have gotten himself checked out a lot sooner. Superman probably could have squashed this conflict before it escalated. Yeah. I, you
1: know, I, I don't, I, I think I've, I've criticized more of Superman than I did praise. But I love Superman. Um I genuinely love the character, but I think the great and I think I told this to you once before uh offline is that I think that th- the things that make Superman great are also the things that make Superman the hardest to write for as a character because you've created a godlike character. So how do you challenge this person? And if every time you challenge them, they need to become better as a result of that conflict. So, you know, the only way you create, you can really challenge a character like Superman is, okay, well, we know he's um, he's a weakness to magic. All right, so how many times are you going to pull that out of the, the bag? Um, you know, you have to take away his powers or at least weaken him in some way so he's on par with some other you know being doomsday you know so it's hard like you know you have these battles like dude superman is great everything he stands for is just i think at what most people want to stand for um and you know he has all the cool powers when you people ask people like what what's what superpower do you want oh i want to fly i want to you know, I want to be super strong and do all these sort of things. But to write compelling stories and come up with great storylines that really capture our imagination on a weekly or monthly basis. Holy cow. I would not want that. I, w- I don't want that job. So I think, you know, as it pertains to the the writers and creators coming up with this stuff, um, you know, when they when they really when they hit their stride, they do it right. Right. But I think they fall into these ruts more often than not.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're seeing that bear out here. And I think, like, again, I really think that the bones of a really good story are here. I think the idea of Metropolis, you know, being being destroyed. I mean, of course, you know, there's there's a lot to explore there. But again, I think we stop short of really getting into the, the the interesting territory. And you know, to yeah. your point, and I was thinking about this too. It's like Metropolis was basically destroyed in the battle with Doomsday. Yeah. I mean, I know this is taking it to another level. I can appreciate that, but I, I feel like there maybe more could have been done in the, in the aftermath of "Reign of the Superman as Superman is returning to Metropolis and seeing the destruction that, that the city is still contending with, and, and you know maybe getting into some of those issues there. I, as I say all of this, again, I recognize that what I am looking for out of these comics as an adult in 2022 is not necessarily what the objective was for these creators in 1993 and 1994. I, I, I totally get I that. Yeah. At the same time, I still feel the, feel the way I feel. And it it, it just kind of like breaks my heart where you see these moments where it's like, oh God, like we were so close. <laughs> like we were really close yeah. to something that could have been, you know, that that maybe could have stood the test of time a little bit more. Because you know, what's, what's funny is, this is a separate thing and I've ranted about this before, but the lack of availability of a lot of these you know, triangle era stories. And again, the the app, in fairness, does a really good job. But, you know, there were a number of stories that were collected in trade paperbacks that are now out of print, right? But I Mm -hmm. know they did a trade of the death of Clark Kent. They did a trade of the trial of Superman, which we'll get to in upcoming episodes. To my knowledge, there was never a trade collecting the battle for Metropolis and the fall of Metropolis. I feel like this is one of those stories, not that you hear trial of Superman referenced all that much, but- You know, I feel like this one, I feel like this is somewhat of a, like, a forgotten period.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think stories like this would benefit from their own title. And I say that because you have four Superman, at the time, you had four Superman titles. Okay. You could have used one of those as the as the issue or series that you fleshed out these storylines and characters. Um, Yeah, it could still be a Superman title. Superman doesn't have to be in it. Like, the whole thing with Cat Grant, Superman really has no involvement in that whatsoever. That's just an investigative reporter doing her job. Okay, maybe in the background you see Superman fly off, or maybe there's something over the news. But, you know, like, he doesn't even have to be in it. And that you really could dive into the character and really build on those
0: storylines. So. A- absolutely. No, I- I'm with you, man. But you know, it, it, it is, it is what it is. We do get action 700, which I think is, you know, that's Ron Roger Stern's uh, swan yeah. song on the title. He'll come back with the, the man of tomorrow quarterly title. Uh, not too far from now. So he'll be back, but you know, I loved his tenure uh, on the supertitles titles. Uh, and I did think that Action 700 was was a strong one. And the bright spot for me in all of these issues was Lois's investigation into Lex II, right? Yeah. And it starts like very, like, th- this is where I think they're at their best, you know, to be honest. You know, it starts very early on with uh, some insurance fraud, right? Where there are some buildings that are still standing, right? And then there are these mysterious fires and it seems like there's some insurance fraud going on. And, you know, she keeps digging, Right. And we get into all of this business about Sasha Green, the karate instructor. Which mm-hmm. there was also this all this other business in, in the Superman annuals when they did the Bloodlines uh, event, like a, oh yeah. prior to that, right, where Sasha Green, like her corpse, was animated and infected by this alien form, and she became part of a character called Myriad. Do you remember any of this?
1: I, you're saying Myriad? That I definitely remember that. You know that name. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, I don't remember that too much, though. Was, there's some weird stuff, man.
0: Weird stuff for sure. But <laughs> I just say this, in case anyone's like, when I mentioned Sasha Green, it's like, oh, she had this other, I, I, I do understand that there was a little bit more going on with the character. But you know, Lois continues digging, right? And she doesn't buy this cover story that Sasha Green moved to Coast City. And and she finds that you know all of Sasha's belongings were still in her locker. Of course, that doesn't make any sense. And we know she has this mystery informant. We don't know who it is. Uh, during that Bizarro arc, Right. Lex Lex and and his, Dr. Happerson, the, the ever loyal Happerson, right? They they yeah. recreate Bizarro to try to study this cloned body. Maybe there's a cure for Lex somewhere in there. And this poor you know, I, I I enjoyed the bizarro arc. I loved, to your point, I love that we did not have the bizarro speak. That's my least favorite aspect of the character. Yeah. And I think that this iteration, for me, like this is bizarro, a a failed cloned experiment created by Luther. Um, who, you know, thinks he's Superman and there's this, this this element of tragedy, right? Like he realizes that he's not and he sacrifices himself. Like that to me is a sweet spot when it comes to Bizarro. Yeah. Uh, just like we got in the animated series. That's like what works best um, for my taste at least. And, you know, towards the end of that Bizarro arc, Bizarro uh, destroys the research that they've gathered from him. And, and there's one of the, the LexCorp soldiers like on his knees, upset about this, right? And, and the mask comes off and Lois sees that it's, it's Lex, Lex II looking very rough, right? Because he's suffering from this affliction. Uh, so, you know, she's really following this all the way through. I, I, I like that a lot. I mean, you know, if I had my way, to your point, it's like, yeah, it would be great if like one of these four titles <laughs> were just about Lois's investigation. It would have been amazing. Yeah. But I love, I love that she dug into this. And it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because as the audience, we've known all along about Lex II, uh, but the ca- like our our characters, our heroes have been in the dark about this. So to finally get the light shed on that, I thought was really cool, and I appreciated Action Seven Hundred because at the end of that Bizarro arc, Lois sees Lex in the LexCorp costume, right, upset about the destruction of of the, the Bizarro and the and the research. And then like the next issue, Lois is talking, I think it's the next issue, Lois is talking about how Lex II is actually Lex I. And I always thought, initially, I was like, how did she piece that together? But then Action 700 gives you a little bit, like it fills in some gaps. And we see that she was approached by her informant at that point. And I think she got a little bit more of the context there. And the informant turns out to be none other than Dr. Gretchen Kelly, one of Lex's closest confidants and advisors, the alleged mother of Lex II. (laughs) Second. Uh, you know so she, so she really has a turn but yeah the, i thought the lowest part of all of this was was one of the highlights for me
1: i i agree with you on that um my big problem with this issue is this whole lord satanus thing <laughs> where all of a sudden you have this made no sense i had a re, i read it and i had to stop myself and reread it Because it, I'm like, did I miss something? Because this made no sense to me whatsoever. Like, this character is in here, why? Like, and it didn't, there was no payoff to it later on. Like, there was, unless I have to read way down the line for it to come back around. um, But it just didn't really make any sense to me.
0: So here's my read on this. I think that, for Action 700, because it was an anniversary milestone issue and the fact that it was also Roger Stern's farewell, I think they were trying to pack it with as much that called back to earlier periods in the Triangle era as possible. Because you're right, reading it in the context of the battle for Metropolis and the fall of Metropolis, like it comes out of nowhere, right? And yeah. He doesn't have any other play in any of, any of the other 42 issues that we read. Yeah,
1: there's uh, no like, Panel where, like, the character in his human form is kind of overlooking and be like, yes, my plan is coming together type. Like, there's none of that. It's just, okay, here's, like, the next page and boom. It's, the, really? Like, all
0: right. So I think that's why. It's, it's also why, you know, there's, you know, Lex. I'm not Lex. Uh, Lana and Pete are largely absent from all of the issues that we read except 700 where we we keep cutting back to their wedding at the Kent farm they uh, Lana does get more play in that Roger Stern supergirl miniseries yeah uh, no. you know, supergirl goes to uh, Lana for for help and for you know to, to sort of share what's been going on with her um but yeah so I think that was I think that was more what's going on with 700 um so in that sense I, I get it but yeah in terms of the larger story I think it it, it was a little bit like yeah. where, where is this coming from? The thing that I like most, that I like most, I think, about the the fall of Metropolis is, is Lex's growing desperation and the fact that, you know, he's at this point where he's like, well, if I can't live, right, and, and rule over Metropolis, I'm going to destroy Metropolis. And there are, you know, again, he's engineered this conflict with Cadmus and he has these smaller bombs planted throughout the city. Lois finds the map that shows where the bombs are placed. So she's really got the goods on Lex. But then it turns out he has these larger, more powerful missiles that really can do major damage. But what I, I, this was, I thought was such an interesting turn where Superman shows up on Lex's yacht, I think, and is actually able to get through to him before the missiles are launched. And basically he says like, look, you always talk about how much you love this city. Do you really want to destroy it? And Lex, for all of his <laughs> evil and all of his flaws is like, no, I don't. And then you have Haperson <laughs> <laughs> out of nowhere was like you know you see his thought bubbles and he's like how like like uh like, oh, Superman like he's you know you know confusing Lex or something like that like how like, like how could you give I've up been on so this?
1: loyal to you all this whole time and you know
0: yeah like Haperson bought into this I, more than I ever thought that was actually kind of surprising to me
1: yeah yeah I you know I um if you boil it down, you know, Lex really should have done more, (laughs) you know, like, look, I know you're dying, man, but you know, get off your ass. But um, yeah, I, I, uh, I like, I like Lex and I really like when there are these peaks of humanity uh, that shine through. And it's like, reminds me of I think it was in one of the animated series uh, episodes or maybe it was maybe also been in an issue where one of the bizarros dies and you know someone's like well you know like lex is over it saying you know like uh he, he lex is genuinely heartbroken that bizarro is dying and or dead and you know people are like, well, you know, what do you care? You just make another one or something like that. And he goes, I care because, you know, he was mine. And, you know, he's he has some love and affection towards this, this creature. Uh, oh, it may have been in New 52, I'm thinking.
0: I think it was Forever, when, forever Evil.
1: Yes, 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 correct, correct. When, yes, uh, Bizarro, like, sacrificed himself. Um, but, yeah, it was... When you see a character um, like Lex, who really you know before superman came around was the guy in metropolis and was then overshadowed by superman you know the fact that he has these moments of humanity like i'm like oh i really really like that you know so
0: (laughs) you and i are on the same page when it comes to lex i've been saying this on the show for a while and we did a huge run of lex episodes and it's like i i think this always goes back to smallville for me where it's like yeah you gotta have that bedrock of humanity and and this like tragic aspect to the character if he's just a monster for me like it does I just don't get as much mileage out of that so the fact that there was that brief moment where he's like okay like Superman is actually able to get through to him I like that and then then, of course Happerson goes rogue and, and sends these missiles off and that's where you know Lord Satanus comes into play and he like gives Superman like a mental nudge to kind of point him in the right direction of how to stop the missiles and you know, he makes sure that the, the news time building that that he, you know, runs and his, you know, human guys remain standing while the LexCorp tower is destroyed. Yeah. Um, but You know, this, you know, this really results in, in in true devastation to the city. And then it continues because Lex had all of these fail safes as well. Like if Metropolis ever fell a la Engine City, there would be yeah. all of these other, you know, robots and other countermeasures that would... Um, that would come to a gas that causes hallucinations that causes you to you know sort of see your fears. Uh, so there's a lot of that going on in those subsequent in those issues subsequent to 700 where there's like fail safe after fail safe and the destruction continues. I think though other than that moment with Superman and Lex on the yacht, what I really did like about this it was I found it very satisfying. I don't know how, what your take on it was, but the finale to this uh, Action Seven Hundred One. So this is Carl Kiesel guest writing after Roger Stern has left, and, and the story is told largely in splash pages, a la Superman Seventy Five. Not entirely, but but largely, mm-hmm. and it comes down to the final failsafe is the Kryptonian battle suit that brought Kalel from the Fortress back to Metropolis after he was revived, and I thought that was a nice callback where Superman was like, oh yeah, I kind of like just kind of left that there when I when we went to <laughs> <laughs> when we went to Coast City and Lex took it. And that's the final fail and the and the the armor you know takes Lex, and and he's able to control it. And this whole story comes down to this battle in Metropolis, you know that that, that has its climax at the the Superman memorial statue, which gets destroyed in this in this fight between Lex in armor versus Superman, and. We've talked a lot on on the show about the evolution of these characters and in particular Lex and how we went from Lex pre-crisis in the green battle suit actually out there having these adventures being in the action to, again, the evil businessman iteration in the boardroom. And I felt like Lex in the purple Kryptonian battle suit was a nice callback to the pre-crisis version and the fact that it came down to this confrontation between the two of them. But did you find that that like, was a fitting finale?
1: I did because you had the the battle suit, which was this aid to Superman to help him, you know, in his time of need, which he now has to fight. Okay, and to your point about the battles, you know, the the traditional Lex Luthor green battle suit, which then became came back again later down the road. And I was so excited about that um i think it was like uh, infinite crisis when someone cracked open a um a crate and you just see like part of it in the crate and i was like ooh that's going to happen anyway um i was i i was reading this and i was like someone pitched the suit i could tell you someone along the way was like let's just bring the suit back and someone was like no 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 we can't do that because i guess they were distant distancing themselves from that period for whatever reason but it just it only made sense like it totally would have made sense for so, in some way to bring that in there but i loved it you know you know superman saves his mortal enemy and you know the last panel is you know lex just pissed you know <laughs> but it it was a really uh, the artwork i really enjoyed there are a lot of um the like there are callbacks to the uh, like certain angles and the way the characters were drawn that I thought were, you know, callbacks to death of Superman or or return of Superman specifically, you know, he's just hunched over looking at the, I say camera, but looking at the reader and just looking, you know, like badass, like, and, and with just vengeance and he's ready to, you know, get on with it. Um, so stuff like that. I really enjoyed that episode, you know, for that reason, so.
0: Yeah, I, I think it- Issue,
1: it, I'm sorry, I did right. it again, episode,
0: damn it. I mean, they're episodes in their own way, it's all they right. They are, it's but fine.
1: just so damn conditioned.
0: <laughs> so, you know, that, that sort of brings the battle for Metro- the fall of Metropolis to a close. Uh, again, I, I do think it is a satisfying conclusion. We, At least in these issues, we never get a firm answer on what caused the clone plague, right? We only have Hamilton's theory about the water no. when the tunnel was flooded. I don't know if this comes back later and there's more to it or not.
1: I think that that was it. We're just gonna have to be happy with that for some reason.
0: <laughs> I mean, it definitely tracks because everyone who was afflicted was in the tunnels. Right? Like the yeah. newsboy legion, they're you know, they're they're afflicted right. by this because it's not every single clone. And ultimately it's the guardian, Jim Harper, whose blood they're able to use to extract the serum before Cadmus is seemingly destroyed, and we don't get a follow up on that in these issues either.
1: No, Cadmus is I thought and, and this is just a general thought like, you know, Cadmus was at this time um, just there for the way to explain things away. Uh, you know, it wasn't an, like, you know, later on Cadmus became more of an entity that had some weight to it. Um, it didn't really like that's why, like, you you don't see a big explanation like, oh, what happened to Cadmus? And da, 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 you know. It's not like this shadow organization really pulling the strings and, you know, experimenting with some real, you know, major stuff, you know, that they would later on down the road. Like, they were just there for convenience. Like, oh, well, what what happened here? Well, it's Cadmus. <laughs> so...
0: Yeah. Well we'll keep an eye on that as we make our way forward through uh the next episodes to see, you know, what, what becomes of, of Cadmus. Um again, I know they continue on. I just don't remember exactly the circumstances uh, you know, that uh uh maybe it's after zero hour, I guess, where maybe that helped uh, account for their, their uh survival slash return. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that
1: and uh this little alien creature that would follow Superboy around.
0: Oh yeah, double X.
1: Double X, Jesus, that one annoyed
0: me. Ah, <laughs> I don't know. It just. <laughs> yeah. Now there was also in the midst of all of this, we did have two issues of Man of Steel that tied into the World's Collide event. Now, uh, this saw Superman interact with the milestone characters like Icon and Static Shock. I if I did not read all uh, all parts of World's Collide then or now, so only reading these couple of issues in a vacuum didn't didn't quite do much for me i i, I don't know I, do you have an attachment to any of those those uh, those milestone uh, characters
1: only really static shock and it's just from watching the cartoons yeah um you know i at the time reading it i was i wasn't aware of milestone um so they were just other characters i'm like oh well i don't really know what their deal is but i know there's something behind there and it wasn't until years later that you know, I saw Static Shock and I learned about more about you know the character and they. It wasn't until probably more recent uh, issues of comics where they would re you know retcon Static in some way, shape, or form and really made him a, a much more compelling character. Um, but beyond that, I wasn't too didn't really, you know, draw my interest too much, so.
0: I hear you. I'll, I'll be honest, but I was more interested in in reading these issues, again, going back to the supporting cast, who I feel like did get the short end of the stick during this leg that we've been talking about, but uh, Keith, the, the the young character who Superman has saved a few times, uh, his uh, adoptive mother, or the, you know, the, the woman who runs, I guess, the, the orphanage where he's staying, right, Myra is, is killed, and this will this will set up the storyline where Perry and Alice uh, take Keith in and adopt him, so you know that comes to pass here. Not in these issues specifically, but in this in this general area, Emil Hamilton loses his arm, yeah, uh, which I had forgotten happens here. So you know, there's a few other a few other pieces um, as we're moving forward here. But I, I touched on the massacre battle uh, earlier, so that happens uh, at this point as well. But then the the last few issues that we read tied into Zero Hour. So, Zero Hour: Crisis in Time <laughs> was the 1994 miniseries, the first Crisis event after Crisis on Infinite Earths. I, I did a podcast series uh, in 2021 called My Comic Shop Book Club, and we did 12 episodes. And the last one was on Zero Hour. So, uh, not too long ago, I read the whole thing. And we, <clears throat> we had a discussion about that, but uh, it essentially, was born out of of this idea that that Dan Jurgens had, because he talks about this in the introduction to the hardcover where he was drawing an issue of Green Arrow and Ali was celebrating his 45th birthday. And it got him thinking, like, well, okay, if Ali is this old, what does this mean for the rest of the DC universe? Right. And I guess in the aftermath of Crisis on Infinite Earth, there were other issues like this, so, you know, some, um, you know, things that didn't quite line up that DC felt this would be an opportunity to, uh, to address. And so this led to the, the weekly zero hour event. And during that month, every DC title. Tied into it, so of course our four Superman titles that we're reading each had an issue tying into Zero Hour. So, in the Man of Steel issue, Superman's meeting all these different iterations of Batman, including the Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns version. Um, We have another issue where there, you know, we have an intersection with the timeline where Krypton didn't explode, and Jor El and Lara are there. So, things like that are going on. What is your take on this, the Zero Hour event, and the way that it uh, unfolds in these Superman issues?
1: Um, I, I loved Zero Hour. Um, it, so I, 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 again, I love Zero Hour. However, um, I was a little annoyed at the whole, this guy's a bad guy. No, no, it's this guy's a bad guy. No, it's, they're really, it's Parallax. Fine, that's cool. That's Parallax. Because I love, I love Parallax. I love Green Lantern. Um. I love the series uh, because um, at the time I wasn't too satiated with, uh, you know, major events in comics. And, again, it was somewhat uh, like reverb from Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, and I like anytime they break out the linear men. Yes. I love those characters. And they're the ones, you know, they're the types of characters that... If they're coming up or if they're making appearance, you know something's going down. Um, so I, I really I like when they're around. The the Superman tie-ins didn't really wow me so much, other than the Batman stuff. Um because you know, like I don't think in in actuality Superman would have been all that like broken up about like okay, his You know, his biological parents are here, but then they left and he flew after them. I'm like, I don't think Superman really would have done that. He's a little bit more logical and practical. He would have known like, all right, something's up. I'm not going to go after them. Um, But just to see all those versions of Batman together was just awesome, (laughs) you know. Um, And uh, well, no, I guess it was after that. So I'm not going to I won't touch on conduit. (laughs) so that i won't touch on
0: that yeah conduits coming up in our so in our next episode in part three of death to a wedding i'll be welcoming back uh, returning guest bernie Gersmeyer. we'll be talking about the next the next chunk of of the triangle era we'll be looking at the zero month issues where each of these titles had a number zero uh and we get the origin of kenny braverman aka conduit uh i've been singing conduits praises on this podcast for a long time i love conduit i love conduit I, but I've not yet read reread those issues. I, I hope that it holds up. I don't know yet, uh, but we'll be covering Zero Month and uh, and the Dead Again arc uh, and, and a few other issues as well. Uh, so that's coming up and I'm, I am excited to get into that and to see how this holds up. Because I do, I, I remember Conduit very fondly and I feel like yeah. this is a character. I know there's been some play recently in the Philip Kennedy Johnson action comics. I won't spoil anything, but I think that You know, for a long time, this character was off the board and it was always kind of puzzling to me.
1: I I agree with you 100%. I was, you know, like they have brought back so many other characters or versions of characters. Like, why have they waited so long? Because this was, you know, this was an original character. This was new. He has roots. It's like Hush to Batman. You know, it's Superman's Hush. You know, he has roots to to Clark Kent when he was a child, who is now grown to adulthood and has, you know, powers that can, uh, you know, match Superman's. And, you know, he has like a genuine, legitimate beef with him. Like, it just, it makes sense. Why haven't they, you know, you know, why, ha- why wait so long?
0: It's very puzzling. You know, I was, I haven't really read ahead yet, but I was just kind of looking at covers and looking at the design of conduit i said to myself oh i think i know why i like the character kind of has like a power ranger vibe to him with that helmet (laughs) right and i know you're a fellow fan and here's a quick plug you know we have our power rangers podcast summoning the zords which comes out monthly and joe's going to be a guest on an upcoming episode and but i feel like i feel like that has something to do with it now like it makes so much sense now i was looking at the design i was like oh that's probably why i liked it so much (laughs)
1: yeah he's he's really cool i mean like it uh i i got excited when i you know i read past zero hour so i can get into those again because i remember buying that figure
0: yep i have it right on the table behind me (laughs) nice nice but you know as far as zero hour goes and and again i have a whole episode on it on my comic shop book club if anyone wants to check it out i I, there's a lot of nostalgia there for me because i look that was the first crisis event that i was you know reading comics you know when it happened so you know it holds a special place and of course you know it's jergens it's ordway it's you know it wasn't a superman event but it was done by two very prominent superman creators so you know there's that i too yeah i know this will be controversial for certain hal jordan fans but i you know i like i like the parallax turn you know he had a, mm-hmm. he had a really interesting arc across these events from yeah. Zero hour to final night to day of judgment. You know, it was quite quite the arc for Hal Jordan of those over those events, and and um, you know, and there's someone there's
1: always this connection to the Spectre.
0: Yes, yeah,
1: you know, and that's why that's why I always sing Jeff Johns' praises because he's a man who does his homework, and he will reference things that happen in one panel of an issue. I don't know, twenty years ago. You know, the fact that he brought Necron back as a legitimate, you know, character. Um, and he was just more or less a throwaway. Because when I found out, like, that where he was in, you know, Green Lantern lore prior to um, Blackest Night, um, I you know, I went searching. And I found out, I'm like, really? He was really only in one issue uh, for two, three pages. And he was nowhere near as badass as he was... And Blackest Night, so that's why I always appreciate things that you know Jeff Johns writes for because, like, he just like I, you know I would love to see his notebook because like he is making notes and highlighting stuff left and right. I could tell because like you know it, it just makes for a compelling story. So I don't know what the hell
0: we're Right? On. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I got you. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, again, as far as Zero Hour itself, I like I said, I, I don't know how well it necessarily holds up for me at least, but I, you know, I, I have fond memories of reading it as a kid and the, these tie-in issues. Yeah. The Batman one was cool, uh, especially to see Bogdanov do his version of uh, Frank Miller's Batman. It was like, it was yeah. really cool. That was, a, that was a strong issue. The the el and Lara issue for me was the most resonant, but not because of the jor and Lara piece, but because of the Kent piece of it. And, you know, you get to see Uh, you know, that dynamic and and to see Clark show his appreciation for the fact that he comes back to tell them, you know, how much he loves them and and to thank, you know, thank them for what they did. So I enjoyed that piece of it. You know, at the end of the day, these are, you know, tying issues to a, you know, to to a huge event. Um, But, you know, there's some interesting stuff in there. And, you know, again, next episode, we'll get into Zero Month where we deal with the aftermath of Zero Hour Uh, And sort of get the lay of the land uh, after all of this. And like we said, get the introduction of of Kenny Braverman. Uh, I'll say this. I'm sure I know I've said this on some podcasts before, but the end of of the Action Comics issue, the last zero hour tie in when uh, the pages fade to white. And I know all of the tie-in comics, or or I guess that week did, right? Because that's what was happening in in that issue of Zero Hour that week,
1: right? It was Where
0: the timeline was was being undone. Uh, I remember getting that issue at Dragon's Den uh, comic book store in uh, Cross County uh, in 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 New York, and I remember like my mom took me there. We got the comic, and then I think we were in the car or whatever. And I was flipping through it, and you know, and I hadn't not having read the whole thing and understanding the context, we just saw that it looked like there was a printing error because there was a white. <laughs> what the hell? Ma, turn around. And we went back into the store and the guy explained it. As best as I can recall, I think he was nice about it. I'm sure I'm sure they had commentary about it after we left. But I will always remember that. I will always remember getting that issue, be like, there's something wrong. It's a printing error, but it wasn't. And again, when you read it, it makes sense in the context. But without the context, it was just like, Hey, what the hell?
1: I ran out of ink or something. I don't know what's going on here. Listen. Yeah, that that's hilarious.
0: Thank you so much for doing this this reading project and coming on here. Any any parting thoughts on, on what we read before we sign off?
1: Um, you know, I will say kind of what I, I, I mentioned at first. I think this the Triangle era, you know, beyond what we just discussed, it was a great period for people to jump into because it was very easily connected. However, each title was independent of the others. So they have their own, you know, they have their own uh, storylines, but the, each storyline tied in well together. And, you know, there's some great content in there, great stuff. Um, you know, it, w- it was great revisiting this because I hadn't read these issues in ages. I mean, I've read Zero Hour and The Big Events because they're kind of like my, my go-tos, but all the stuff in between, it made me, uh, you know, really explore it and appreciate it. So thank you.
0: Awesome. No, I appreciate you coming along. I, you know, I, I enjoyed the conversation so much. I enjoyed the reading well enough as well. I think there were, I, I found it, you know, lacking in, in instances more than, than I expected to or more than I hoped to, but that's okay. That happens sometimes. Uh, this was so much fun to talk about. I'm looking forward to getting into uh, the, the the next part of the triangle era. You'll be back in a few episodes. I've got you lined up for another one. Yeah. Uh, so I look forward to doing this with you again. Uh, of course, everyone should check out Dollar Bin Bandits podcast uh, wherever you get podcasts or watch on YouTube. Uh, follow along on social media, Dollar Bin Banter Facebook group as well. Correct?
1: Yeah, there's all kinds of uh, social media stuff. Uh, Dollar Bin Bandits on YouTube, DB Bandits on I don't know, Twitter and some other stuff. I don't even I don't, I don't read Twitter, but uh, look, we're there. You know where to find it.
0: Yeah, and iTunes, again-
1: Spotify, Google Podcasts.
0: Great interviews with creators, again, including a lot of the creators whose work we've been talking about. So I hope people will check that out. I hope you'll keep tuning in to Death Till Wedding. We're two chapters in. We still have a lot more to go. Like I said, next time, uh, Bernie will be back and we'll be talking about Zero Month and Dead Again. So it should be a really interesting one. As always, it's about what you do. It's about action. Support the show and receive exclusive additional content, including my DC Movie Rewatch podcast, at patreon.com slash anthony desiato. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show. Also, be sure to explore the other shows within the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, which is home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, all hosted by yours truly. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Visit flatsquirrelproductions.com for more. Thank you all.